Well, take your Bibles this morning and open up to Matthew chapter 1. Matthew chapter 1. Now, um, we're starting a series of a series of talks that will take us up through Christmas Eve, and uh, we're calling this Perspectives on Christmas. And uh, the whole goal of this series of talks is to take a look at uh, different characters in the Christmas narrative that we see in Scripture, and ask ourselves the question: uh, How can what can we learn from those individuals that we read about? Okay. And uh, before we jump into that, though, so being that we're at Christmas time, Christmas season, uh, and I know that there's some of you that just have some really crazy Christmas traditions, I want you to just shout out for me, all right, what your favorite Christmas tradition is, whether it's from your childhood or something you do currently, just like a couple words. Um, maybe it's just family gathering or whatever it is. So just, just to get a feel, so we kind of get an idea, because we're a family here. At least I pray that that's what we're moving towards. So I'm just curious, what, what are some of your favorite Christmas traditions? Eating. Yes. Yes. Amen to that. Okay. What was that? Sleeping. Sleep, sleeping. Because <laughs> you don't have school, right? Out of school, you sleep. Okay. Peace. Okay. Homemade pizzas. Nice. I love that. What else? Favorite Christmas tradition? Having your kids home. There was a couple more over here. What were they? Was that fruit? Scrooge? Well, there's always one in every family. That's okay. We love you. (laughs) Family, gifts, bowling, okay? Crepes on Christmas Eve, okay? Pajamas? I like it. Christmas movies. Excellent. See, this is, I love this, because there's such a diverse group of answers. Some of these things, I'm going, I never would have thought of that as a Christmas tradition. And I, I hope that as we go through this season, that's just something that is a point of connection amongst you guys. That's a really easy question for us to ask in the midst of that, okay? Was there? What was it? Decorating the tree. Yeah, absolutely. There's one back here. Okay. Okay. Okay, so making a flannel graph of the Christmas story with your family. Awesome. But this is a great way. So as you guys, one of the things that I pray weekly for you as a church body, is that you would find ways to connect together as one body because we talk about that so much. 
And sometimes practically it's just challenging to go, how do I do that well when maybe this person I've never really conversed with, and I don't know if we have a lot in common or what that looks like, a simple question, hey, what Christmas traditions have you had in your family? Or what do you love most about this season could be a great way to kick off a conversation. You, never, you, you might never guess where it would go from there. So I just love to do that together. There's really no application of that in my message. I just wanted to hear you guys talk about it because I love hearing different perspectives during this time of year on what you do. Um, some of my favorites from my childhood specifically, um, uh, when we would, uh, the, it was always growing up the Saturday after Thanksgiving, we would put up our Christmas tree if we went and got a live one, which we did for a little bit until we found out that my brother Kyle is very allergic to Christmas trees. And that was really unfortunate because there were multiple Christmas days that, we, that my parents spent in the emergency room with Kyle because he was so sick from the tree. So we got a fake tree and that solved that problem. But we would, we would decorate that tree every uh, Saturday right after Thanksgiving together as a family. And then, uh, this is weird, but it's something I remember, is on Christmas morning, um, my, my parents would always do stockings, and we would always get an orange in the toe of our stocking. Did anyone else ever get, okay, I'm not the only one, but I remember that. I don't remember hardly anything else I got in my stockings, other than I remember every year you could anticipate in the base of that stocking was an orange. And that just stuck with me. Anyway, so I, I pray that you are able to have just a joyous season this time of year. And that you get the opportunity to connect with some people that maybe you don't get to connect with very often. Both in our church family, but also in your own direct extended families. And today specifically, we're going to look at Matthew chapter 1. And we're going to be looking at the perspective of Joseph in the Christmas narrative. And we honestly don't know much about Joseph. And so we're going to take what we do know and seek to apply those character traits and those things that we see modeled to him in this portion of the Christmas story. But an interesting reality that, as I was talking with my staff this last week, they pointed out, as we kind of dialogue about these things from week to week, is you never actually see an instance where Joseph speaks. He, we see him described in the story. We see all of this transpiring and all these things happening to him in his life. And his response thereof. But he never actually says anything that's recorded in scripture. And so what's interesting about this is there's so much we can glean from his character without even speaking words. That, or without even him saying anything. Uh, I pray that this is encouraging and equipping to you. And our main idea today, so if you get nothing else out of today, I want you to grasp this. And you're going to understand the details of that more as we look at the person of Joseph more specifically. But the main idea I want you to grasp is this. Obedience to God takes faith, courage, and perseverance. Obedience to God takes faith, courage, and perseverance. So let's open in prayer, and then I want to give you some things we do know about Joseph, and then we're going to get into the body of Matthew chapter 1 together. Father, I thank you for this time of year. I praise you that as we gather with one another, we have various traditions 
and celebrations that ensue and take place. And Father, I pray that most of all during the season we would fix our eyes on you, trusting you um, for what the days ahead of us hold, knowing that you have already revealed to us that you are faithful and your faithfulness revealed in such a powerful way when you sent your son to this earth. And Lord, may we not forget the reason that you sent your son, that we might have life and life eternal. And that's the reason we celebrate so much this time of year. I pray that we keep that at the forefront of our minds and that you're glorified through your word and through our actions and commitment to live it out. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Now, the first thing I want to highlight and kind of answer is, what do we know about Joseph? Everyone say, what do we know? And the first thing I'm going to point out, and I've got a couple various scripture passages. You can just sit in Matthew chapter 1, and I'm going to walk you through a couple things we do know to preface this narrative in Matthew 1. The first thing we know about Joseph is that he was a craftsman, right? Joseph was a craftsman, and in Matthew chapter 13, that verse is going to be up there for you, verse 55, it says... Uh, is not this the carpenter's son? Is not his mother called Mary? And are not his brothers James and Joseph and Simon and Judas? This was in an account later on in Jesus' life where he is confronted by the very people in Nazareth where he is from and they question his power and who he really is by saying, Isn't this Joseph's son? Isn't this the son of the carpenter? Now, you might ask the question, why is it that I put craftsman up there instead of just carpenter? Carpenter's not wrong, but the actual word that's used here is a technon. Technon in Greek, which can be simply a skilled laborer. Okay? Now, how many of you here today are craftsmen, whether it be by trade or by hobby? How many of you? We have, I know we have quite a few in our church body, Okay? And this could mean various things historically. He could have worked within uh, the stone area of things with laying foundations and doing stonework on houses. He could have worked with lumber and actually been a carpenter with his hands. We really don't know specifically other than he's described as a carpenter or a craftsman. And so we get a little glimpse, a little picture there of who he is, what he did as a job. The second thing that we know from Scripture about Joseph is that he lived in Nazareth. Everyone say Nazareth. And we see this specifically in Luke chapter 1, which is going to be up here as well, where it says, In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David, and the virgin's name was Mary. And so we articulate from this that both Mary and Joseph were from Nazareth, and that was not uncommon for this couple to be finalized in marriage to be from the same region. Now, Nazareth is in the northern part of Israel. So if you look at a map and you look at Israel, it's in the northern part, not all the way north, but just down from the northernmost part of Israel. And it was believed, we don't know this specifically, but it's believed that there was around 200 to 500 people in the village of Nazareth. 
So we're not talking about a huge location, but we're talking about a small grouping of people in the village of Nazareth, and this would have been where they resided. And ultimately, as we see in the rest of the New Testament, where Jesus was referenced to be from. Jesus of Nazareth, okay? So his parents lived in this location. It's another thing we know about Joseph specifically. Now, a third thing that we know about this man named Joseph is that he was a direct descendant of King David. And we see that specifically laid out in the genealogy in the first part of Matthew chapter 1. As it walks through, person by person, step by step, through his genealogy, we see that his lineage is traced back to King David himself. Which, for those of you who don't recognize the importance of that, God promised to King David in the Old Testament that his kingdom was going to last forever. And ultimately, Jesus came and fulfilled that, recognizing even what is yet to come, that we believe Jesus will return. Everyone say, he's coming again. Praise the Lord. And when he comes again... We believe that he will establish his kingdom on earth, as it says in Revelation. And that eternity will be a place where Jesus reigns and those in Christ will be co-heirs with him in eternity. Okay? That's a lot of theological stuff jam-packed in a few sentences. All right? But the importance of this is this is a significant concept that's followed through here when we see... His lineage traced back to King David himself. Now, the fourth thing that we know about this is that Joseph was betrothed to Mary. Everyone say betrothed. Now, this is really interesting. And I don't know how many of you recognize the historical process of betrothal. But it's very, very, very different than what you would be used to in American culture. So I just want to give you a picture and a glimpse because it sets up really well the circumstances that Mary and Joseph would have been in when they came to this place where Mary was told she was with child. And so betrothal was legal in nature. Unlike our own cultural views of engagements where there's no legal action taken at that point, this process would have started with a sort of reverse dowry payment called a mohar. Everyone say mohar. And that would have been Joseph's family was responsible for paying this to the bride's family. And you could find various viewpoints as to what that, that payment was used for. Some would say that it was used to compensate the family for the upcoming loss of their daughter being part of the family business. And so it was meant to assure the family that they could make the needed changes they would have to in order to lose a member of their family, which in that day and age was crucial to the operating of day-to-day life. For other people, you could find, would say that this was uh, meant to uh, compensate and take care of any needs that the bride or the family had leading up to the wedding itself. Okay, so... Either way, there was payment that was made from the groom's family to the bride's family, and then there was a legal, legally done deal. Once that payment was made, there were vows that were exchanged, and they were legally betrothed. This usually began 
a one-year process of waiting. Think about that for a minute. It usually began a one-year process of waiting, ultimately to test the faithfulness of the couple to each other, while at the same time allowing that future husband to prepare a living place and establish financial security for their future family. The only way out of this would have been through legal divorce. So the betrothal process was not simply a transaction that said, hey, our families have decided that you guys are going to get married. This was legally binding and by all meanings meant that in a legal sense they were married even though they had not come together yet. Now, the really cool thing about this, if you study this well, and then you read the book of Revelation, and you study the marriage supper of the Lamb, or you read some of Jesus' parables where he talks about the virgins who sit there with their lamps, the oils in their lamps, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to return, this is what this was about. There's a betrothal period, a sealing that takes place, and then... The bride awaits for the day that the bridegroom would usually come with his friends, surprise the bride. They would have the marriage celebration and be united together from that point on. Does that sound kind of familiar to what we've talked about before with the end times? As those in Christ are sealed with the Holy Spirit, there's a promise that's made. It's established that nothing can remove that. But then we sit and we wait as the church, the bride of Christ, for the day that he returns. So that when he returns, we can celebrate together and forever be together. See, that's the picture. And it goes all the way back. It's seen not just at the end. It's seen in this picture of marriage. And it's one of the reasons that our own view and theology of what marriage should look like should be elevated in a lot of senses. is because... The very nature thereof is to represent exactly what we believe is going to happen when Jesus comes again. Now, outside of that, we recognize the severity of this if something were to happen in that year period that would prove that there was unfaithfulness in the midst of it. So I want you to step back for a minute and put yourself in Joseph's shoes as we look at exactly what happens, starting in verse 18 of Matthew chapter 1, okay? It says, Now the birth of Jesus Christ took place in this way. When his mother Mary had been betrothed to Joseph, before they came together, she was found to be with child from the Holy Spirit. And her husband Joseph, being a just man and unwilling to put her to shame, resolved to divorce her quietly. But as he considered these things, behold, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream, saying, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. All this 
took place to fulfill what the Lord had spoken by the prophet. Behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. When Joseph awoke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife, but knew her not until she had given birth to a son, and he called his name Jesus. So here's Joseph, a young man. Understand that culturally, at this point, it was not uncommon for individuals to be married in their teenage years. And we don't know that. Again, I always like to preface, we don't know that from Scripture. That's a cultural observation, right? But here is a young man who is betrothed. He's gone through the process of paying the mohar to her family and is eagerly anticipating. I am assuming he is eagerly anticipating as a young man that knows he's He's married, legally married, and is in this waiting period. The day that he's joined with his bride and out of the blue, here comes Mary. And she says to him, Joseph, I'm carrying a child. Now, there's a lot of thoughts that could go through if you put yourself in Joseph's shoes at this point. Your mind is probably just racing. Whoa, 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 wait, what? And I, I, have to, I have to wonder how many times she had to repeat that to him before he came back for air. You know what I'm saying? Like something just hits you out of the blue. You're not expecting this. And, and I, I have to process a minute and then come to my senses and maybe once again say, what? What? Because deep down he knew... This was not his child. And we don't know how long a time span took place from the time Mary told him to his thought process. And I can only imagine the anguish as he considered Mary, the one that he is beloved. He he is eagerly waiting to marry. And now this has taken place. And all of a sudden, this news, I, I I don't know what to do. I have this tension because I, I, I know this isn't right and I, I feel hurt and broken and in some ways abandoned and yet I care for her and I know what happens if, if I bring this back to the courts in a public way. I, I know the tension that this creates. I know that she will be permanently outcast because of her unfaithfulness in this legal binding way. And so, Matthew 1.19 reveals his resolve when it says, Being a just man, everyone say just, and unwilling to put her to shame, he resolved to divorce her quietly. That is not to make a public spectacle of this. Now, legally... If you ever want to look at the penalty for all of this, mark write down Deuteronomy chapter 22. And this would have been a season in time in which they still were abiding by the law that was established under Moses. And in Deuteronomy 22, it highlights the penalty for someone who's unfaithful in a marital sense. And to 
make it short for you, the penalty was death. They were to be taken outside the city and stoned for their unfaithfulness. Aren't you thankful we're no longer under the law? Because if we were under the law, then technically, if you look back at that, it would be the job of the church to do the stoning. Okay? Not something that I want to have to do. Praise the Lord for his forgiveness and for grace given to us by God in Christ. But this would have been what would have been normal in their culture in this time frame. And so he's not wanting to put her to shame. He's not wanting to see this happen to her. And so he resolves, I'm going to divorce her quietly. And this brings about really our first point that I want to emphasize to you as we ask the question, what can we learn from the person of Joseph in this pers- from his perspective and how he acted, how he lived this out? And the first thing is, I want to encourage you, be a person of character in a world of crookedness. Be a person of character in a world of crookedness. Now, Joseph legally had every right to get back the money that he had paid to her family to publicly humiliate her and say, hey, I was betrothed to this woman and she betrayed me and was with another man and is now has another man's child. And the culture would have thought nothing of it. Joseph had a choice here whether to be selfish in nature or whether to consider the one to which he was legally married to. Now, I don't know about you, but that's pretty hard for me to think about. And even processing as Joseph would have before he knows anything more about the detail other than that Mary is pregnant, he is a just man and goes, I, I, don't, I don't want to see her shamed. I don't want to see her humiliated. Which would mean if this was all done quietly, then there's a chance that he wasn't even concerned about getting the money back. He just wanted this to be done and move on with life. The question we can ask there is, do I follow after the culture's way of doing things or do I do it differently? Practically today, many of you are facing or have faced or will face similar decisions. Maybe not on this magnitude, but moments when you are tempted to respond in a way that furthers your own benefit at the cost of someone else. Moments where you're tempted to compromise your character for some sort of personal gain. And the reality is... You, you may have been hurt by someone. You're given a choice on how you will respond in forgiveness or in anger. Will you choose to be a person of character? I have to stop and consider the reality that I, and I'm speaking to myself here, I pray that God does a work in your own life. But I have a growing tendency as a human person to think about myself. And it's a daily choice for me to wake up and say, I'm going to choose to live selflessly rather than for myself. Now, does that always translate or communicate to me living that out? No, no. 
I wish it, I wish it did. But as we look at a situation like this, and we say, Joseph, what, what are you thinking? I'm sure that Mary probably tried to explain this to Joseph. And some of you could probably imagine how that conversation would go. Joseph, I'm, I'm pregnant. What, what do you mean you're pregnant? We have not been together. Well, this angel appeared to me and said that I'm going to have a baby and it's going to be the Son of God. What? If you're in Joseph's place at this point, you're going, are you kidding me? I mean, I'm hurt as it is, but the least you could do is be honest to me. Just admit that you messed up. And then to be in Mary's shoes and to know this is real. I'm, I'm not, how could I make this up? I, I didn't wish this upon myself. I, I'm seeking to walk in obedience to God, which we're going to see Mary's perspective later on this month. And to think of her position and going, oh, I, I love Joseph. I've so looked forward to spending my life with him. And now this, God, God, what are you doing? Even when there's reason to question, you still have a choice to be a person of character or not in whatever you do. Now, the second thing we can observe from Joseph's character here is to pursue God's will without fearing man's words. To pursue God's will without fearing man's words. Now, there's no doubt with this happening that people would have been talking about this situation. Mary did not have some magical ability to hide the fact that she was indeed pregnant. Okay? That, it doesn't say that anywhere in Scripture, which means it would not have been long before people would have noticed, Oh, Mary is having a baby. When Jesus was born it would have been seemingly evident to others around that something didn't add up. Joseph had resolved in verse 19 to do what would cause the least amount of gossip and slander as possible, yet he probably still faced ridicule and some strange looks. We say in verse 20 that as Joseph was thinking about these things, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream. Praise God, this angel appears to him. And says, Joseph, son of David, do not fear to take Mary as your wife, for that which is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. She will bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus, for he will save his people from their sins. Whoa! Now, I can't tell you how many times that I have prayed, God, in this situation with what's going on, can you just send an angel to appear to me in my dream and let me know that this is true? That would be so nice. Wouldn't you like that if you're struggling? I would. Okay? And the reality is, church, that is not something that is commonplace. And I praise the Lord that we have his word. 
so that we can discern what is the will of God in the midst of this cultural context. And the reality is, when we recognize what God's Word says and we recognize what is true and we are saying, I I desire to live after this, I desire to be like Jesus, I desire to walk in step with this, I'm going to pursue God's will. The reality is, that doesn't mean everyone else is going to support and be on your side. And we don't see specific instances where Joseph, it's described that Joseph was ridiculed, but culturally... Knowing what our culture is like when stuff like this happens, sadly and unfortunately, I guarantee you there was people who were talking about this and were asking questions. Did you see? I did the math. And there's no way. Which you know what that means. Oh, man. Can you, can you believe it? And for Joseph and Mary both to pursue God's will without walking in fear of what man might think or say is takes courage and if you consider what our main idea was that obedience to god takes faith it takes courage and it takes perseverance and being a person of character in a crooked world takes faith you've got to live and walk in faith to be someone who's going to pursue god's will without a Concern for what other people are going to think or say. That's, that takes courage, church. It takes courage to do that. But when we choose to follow after what God has called us to, it often causes the culture around us to look at us a little strange. They may have some nasty things to say or judgmental glances, and yet it was, listen to this, I love this reality. It was Joseph who got a front seat to God's redemptive plan. He got a front seat to see what God was going to do. When we read Scripture and understand what God has called us to, be like Joseph. In verse 24 it says, When he woke from sleep, he did as the angel of the Lord commanded him. He took his wife. This is one of those instances in Scripture where we see how quickly he responded to God's command. When he woke from sleep. That means the dream happened, he woke up, and he did as the angel of the Lord had commanded him. He obeyed. To pursue God's will without fear of what man was going to do. The third and final thing focused around perseverance here is I want to challenge you to have faith in God's plan even if it doesn't make sense right now. To have faith in God's plan, even if it doesn't make sense right now. Imagine how this would have turned out for Joseph if his eyes had been fixed on himself. Imagine how the Christmas narrative would have changed. Imagine how this would have changed the course of history if Joseph had been so focused on himself that he said, no, no, it was just a dream. I can't, I cannot live with this reality that my wife is pregnant and it's not my kid. So I'm, I'm going to do what the rest of culture would do. I'm going to divorce her. I'm going to go my own way. And you know what? I, I, I'm just going to do this my, my way. Imagine 
what would have changed? Imagine the lost blessing as a result of that decision. Instead, Joseph got to witness the very birth of the Savior. And not only that, he had the first opportunity to model for the Savior himself the very adoption that God was going to bring about for those who have faith in him. Do you grasp that? Joseph, knowing that this was not his blood, had the opportunity to adopt as his own son, his own earthly child, the very one who would save the world through his death. To model the same adoption we see promised in Romans chapter 8 through Christ, that we're sealed by the Spirit. As I thought about a way to bring this picture into view for us practically, in thinking about having faith in God's plan, even if it doesn't make sense right now, that's really easy to say and really hard to commit to. But when you go to the doctor and the surgeon says, you've got a problem, and it's going to take me taking a knife to your body, and fixing this, and it's going to be really painful. But it's ultimately going to result in your health and your healing and your ability to continue living life. We're often really eager to sign that paper. And yet, when we face a hardship that God has put in our life, a challenge of some sort, and we see in James and other places in Scripture that Trials develop in us perseverance, and perseverance must finish its work so that we're perfect or we're mature, complete, lacking in nothing. No, 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 God. This needs to be easy. Or those of you who've been through an event of injury and have to go to a therapist for a time may even cringe at the thought because... When they say, well, we're going to work with you for a while and we're going to loosen this up so that you have mobility and the ability to function again, we go consistently, at least you should, and it's painful because they move those parts of your body in ways that you're going, no, 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 this is not good, this is not okay. And yet we endure that. Why? Because we know that on the other side of this, this is for our benefit. Now the reality is, Joseph had it clarified to him, this is God's will. But he still had a choice as to whether he was going to have faith in God's plan, even if it didn't make sense or wasn't visibly right there for him today. Some of you have faced some very hard realities over the last year. For some, those situations were completely out of your control. And for others, maybe the product of bad decisions. But no matter what has brought you to where you are now, know that you have the chance today to choose to follow after God's will for your life. It is not some magic formula or strange practice. In simple terms, it is knowing His word and doing as He has said. And when we strive to do that, we enter God's will. 
In the midst of that, we must have faith in God's plan over our own. I can't tell you how hard that is. Joseph modeled this when he woke up, trusted what God had made clear, and acted on it. So today, I want to challenge you to remember that obedience to God takes faith. It takes faith to consider what lies before you and move towards what God would have for you, facing whatever pain or trial or turmoil might come as a result of that. It takes faith. It takes courage. It takes courage to get up each day in the midst of the struggles that you face and choose God's plan over your own. To face potential ridicule from people, to face the hardship of just not knowing, it takes a courageous movement to bring that to be. And it takes perseverance, the willingness to push through, to root in, and day after day commit to God's purposes to continue pressing on towards what God has already planned. So church, don't miss out on God's blessings.